Richard. My name is Chiara. I'm Ricky. I'm Tom. And welcome to the Welcome to Welcome to Welcome to Welcome to Design Lab Brew Season 3. I'm Gemma. In this season, we will explore how Design Lab offers a platform between technology and society via the unique insights from the creators and facilitators. Get ready to ride the sound waves into some interesting chats and fun commentary. And we are interviewing a very special guest, Lisa Mandemaker. She is the designer in residence here at the Design Lab. And she's going to talk to us a bit about her most current work, her thoughts on artificial rooms, and just what it actually means to be a speculative designer. So, Lisa, could you introduce yourself a bit? Uh, I'm Lisa. I studied at Artes in Arnhem. Did product design there um, and then I did a master's in London at the Royal College of Art uh, and there I did a master in design product. I actually wanted to do design interactions because I wanted to uh, go into speculative design and that was ran at the time by Anthony Dunn and Fiona Raby who wrote the book Speculative Everything. I was so excited <laughs> to go there, really wanted to go there. I got accepted which was already a big deal but then, because of politics, they had to shut down the entire department a few months before I started. So that was, uh, yeah, a bit of a bummer. Uh, so I changed to design products, uh, which was also really good. Um, and they had a platform which is called Design as Catalyst. And that kind of fits uh, my work and uh, the practice I'm still doing, Design as Catalyst. Um, I am calling myself a speculative designer now. Uh, first, I didn't want to do that because I wasn't trained by Don and Raby, but I am a speculative designer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe you could also introduce a bit about your most recent project that you're going to be doing for this year's Dutch Design Week and the reason why we're even sitting down for this conversation. Yeah, so I've been working the past uh, year on a new project about artificial wombs. Um, I've worked on artificial wombs before, so a few years ago I did an um, installation of how an artificial womb could look like here, and we presented that at the Embassy of Health uh, during Dutch Design Week, but in 2018, so a couple years ago, and uh, that was a big success, so when um, uh, Sabine, the director of uh, Design Lab, uh, heard that there was some scientists and ethicists talking about doing a project about artificial womb, uh, artificial wombs. She was like, hmm, maybe we could invite Lisa to be a designer on the project. Then we can, you know, mix disciplines and see what comes up there. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And for me, it was a really nice opportunity to work with philosophers um, and learn more about the ethical sides of uh, artificial wombs. Because I really got interested in that while working on that first project. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. Uh, and now um, it developed into uh, a new installation, what is also going to be presented at the Embassy of Health. So it's really nice that it's kind of a, a follow-up, yeah, and continuing thing. Uh, but it's very different from the first one. Um, it's more about the ethics. It's a very speculative story. Um, and it's um, a little bit further into the future. So uh, I'm speculating on the fact that a whole pregnancy will be possible outside of the human body um, and how taking more the perspective of somebody that's born from an womb and speculating about that. 
taking it one step further, artificial, like imagining that artificial wombs just exist in our world and there are people who've like had whole lives afterwards and what do they have as their own experiences? That's going to be very interesting to um, talk about later. But what I first wanted maybe was to understand a bit how you would define an artificial womb for yourself. Um, yeah, for me, like the definition uh, I always use, but it's more an image in my, my head. But the definition is always uh, a space filled with liquid instead of you use, if you think about an incubator 2.0, uh, the incubator is a space with air, filled with air, and an artificial womb, a space filled with liquids. Um, so that's the very abstract thing definition that I super use. <laughs> yeah, super broad. <laughs> And also, um, what I also use as um, a reference is more a botanical kind of view. Um, so I did that for the first installation as well. For me, it's really difficult to speculate and to uh, think about to think to think about the the future um, of artificial wombs if I put it too close to the human body or how pregnancy is now. Because um, usually when you talk about artificial wombs, you will get the question like, oh, how can we hear the heartbeat? Like, how can we connect? Um, and I want to take a whole different approach of how we could uh, experience a pregnancy. So I don't want to go into that uncanny kind of valley of I kind of want to design this new experience. So I use uh, kind of the botanical garden as a, as a reference for the nursery of the future. And that kind of the artificial womb is more, and the baby that grows inside is more like a, a very special plant that you need to take care for. And then there's this other interactions that go around it. And I think that's more interesting. When people start with thinking about the future, they go back to what they know before. But we have to kind of expand our, our way of thinking because it's a completely new uh, scenario. And we shouldn't just get stuck in the tradition, but yeah. And I think, yeah, that is leading a bit more into my next question because I want to understand more about your life is um, someone who's a designer in residence and your role. So you are creating these prototypes, um, speculating about the future. Maybe you can expand on what you view your role as, as a mediator between the university and society. I kind of feel like I'm always on the outsides of things, so I'm not really part of the university. Um, and, well, I am part of society. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but kind of the, the, uh, the projects that I do, I'm always kind of on the, on the outside, like with one, one leg in, you know, and then learning from it, but then taking it back to my own sort of bubble make a translation and then bring it back in to see um, how people react on it or if it makes any sense. Um, so that's what I've been doing here as well. Um, and taking, learning a lot from the people that I've worked with because then I come across this, all these new views and perspectives uh, of people working here. So like the people working in Design Lab, Dream Teamers as well but also the, the philosophers that I worked with, they all have their views and way of working. And for me, I take all these things and uh, have my own inspirations and layer it all into one massive pile uh, of things. 
And then I'm trying to go find this new route to go through it, like this new story that I'm building. You talk often in the design lab about like the transdisciplinary approach and you are kind of like the glue to having all these people of different specializations and making one thing, one visualization, one experience that can translate all of those efforts, basically. Where do you think your role as a speculative designer ends and begins? Like, what are the boundaries of that? Oh, good question. You know, I don't know. It's it's so hard to answer these questions, especially for me, because for me, it's just all very intuitive. And I, half the time, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like from an academic perspective, uh, but that's just, you know, me from the outside looking in that there's these, you know, definitions and there's like plans that, you know, what you're going to do, you know, what you're going to get out of it. Um, and uh, for me, that's always open. I start with something and I have no idea where I will end up um, and that you need to be able to deal with that uncomfortableness. And I noticed that um, a lot of researchers do not handle that uncomfortableness and this openness um, in a good way or find it hard, which I understand because that's just not their way of work. But I think what you were saying, Lisa, was really interesting about um, on a transdisciplinary track with the philosophers and they're not used, used to this. Um, but do you think, why do you see that? Like, how do you see that their exploration is different from yours? Like, because in a way, I feel like research is speculative, yeah. um, but I do notice that there's a difference. Yeah, I think definitely not all researchers have this because um, there were a lot of researchers at my team that did, um, that were open for this uh, abstractness and, uh, and uncomfortableness. Um, I think what works really well is to work together in one room. I think that to be, because when I started, we were also in lockdown. So then when you're working on teams in these kind of settings, that makes it difficult. So that's just an external factor that makes it difficult. But I noticed like when I was working with one of the philosophers, uh, her name is Margot, um, she, what I really liked about the collaboration with her was that um, I was telling my speculative story that I based on like literature, movies, stuff that I saw, like, um, and then I was explaining that to her thinking, oh, such a weird story, but okay, <laughs> I'm telling it. And she would listen to me like with her eyes closed. And then she's trying to make connections with things in philosophy that she knows. She says that back to me, um, like the, the, the connections that she makes. And then it's a sort of sense making that you do in this conversation that worked really well. So when she explained her thoughts back to me, connecting to the story, like she actually like dived into the story to be able to understand it. So um, I thought that was really nice. And then it was this um, back and forth and then, oh yeah, so it's about this. And then, you know, you, you could make some steps, but you really, um, yeah, it's just this kind of vulnerable space that you have to enter with you mm -hmm. view and then or with more people but it's it's not everyone could do that so it's just i don't know maybe also on a personal level you need to really click on especially on this intuitive more creative things especially like these deep <laughs> stories that i built i think that's what you need um i think what's also what i noticed in these transdisciplinary um collaborations so i was the only designer 
on this team that makes it really hard. So like the best thing would be I have another designer there or, you know, you have it. There's three researchers, three designers, or there's two designers, two hybrids and two research. And the hybrids are really important. Yeah, yeah, that know both sides. So for me, that was uh, Christina Zaga. She really, she was this really good hybrid between academic and design. She knows both, both things. So she could really be the translator, help us both to understand each other because you do speak in a different language. So yeah, that's kind of, because you also like, if you, if you talk about the role of a designer in in a transdisciplinary um, setting, you also don't want to be like everything that, like the glue that holds everything together, because that's a big role. Um, And you kind of need to, you know, divide it to be able to divide it and not have everything on that one person, have everything riding on that one. So that's, I think, something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. a trade off kind of. Yeah. You seem, though, to have managed that quite well with your time here and getting something out in your end products. So I think maybe you've also learned a bit how to become more hybrid now that you are being exposed to these kind of scenarios and can be that support for someone else who also feels like taking on this role as a speculative designer because there's always space for more, you know? It's not like one pie that we're cutting up in this whole design (laughs) field. Um, I also wanted to ask you um, just something more generally, like what's your vision as a designer and what really sparks interest for you? And Or maybe it goes into also what made you feel like you wanted to really do speculative design? Um, I think what I first was interested in why I moved speculative design um, was, um, oh, there's so many things now in my head. Okay. First, I think it was when I was designing products, I was not really interested in designing another chair or a lamp. Also, I'm not very good at that. So, <laughs> um, and I noticed that the um, I like the story or what uh, a product does uh, for behavior or I don't know how how people use it. I thought that was way more interesting than designing the thing itself. So I, I became more interested in the research and the concept and uh, people's behavior. And then um, this aspect of technology came in. So how is behavior changing because of technology so first just your smartphone like these daily daily things um, that I started to work around and I think during my master's I just wanted to understand better what design how how design changes our behaviors Um, and that kind of became more and more futuristic and I did lots of research look at him from a product design perspective and also bring in like uh, technology and fandom and how that works and like all all these things so yeah I look at a lot of different things so it's been a whole road uh, and I think when I started doing the artificial womb project the first one in 2018 I think a lot of things came together in that project that I'm really interested technology ethics how people react to design um, and technology but also using that design to get people you know to talk and using it as a catalyst um, and feminism uh, yeah all these together that's why I kind of 
stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, we were having a lot of interesting discussions about just what to ask because we were thinking it could go into a very political area <laughs> in terms of the climate these days. Yeah. Um, and this project I've seen now in a few places in Tetum in the in Enchide. And then you also did this already before. So I feel like there's a lot of discussion going on about it. Also, the philosophy department, um, students are writing about it. And the artificial womb is just a hot topic. So. I think it's that's a good thing uh, because it's not there yet. And it's with a lot of technologies that hasn't happened before. I think that we have such a discussion about it before it actually happens. We usually it just enters our lives. And then, yeah. Um, so I think that was uh, the goal. You have to talk about it beforehand. Like even if you imagine, um, if you go into like if if it's possible in a few years that we have like this incubator toe that you um, have baby do an artificial womb when they are born prematurely, like at two or two weeks. But it's such a traumatic experience. Um, if you go through that to go into early labor, if you have no idea about artificial wombs. And the doctor comes up like, hey, we have this really experimental solution for you. Um, this can save your baby. But it also, you know, this is your your one chance. How are you ever going to make that decision uh, if you have to think about that in that moment? It's so much better if you thought about uh, yeah, these things for... That's so true because with these new technologies, a lot of the times we're using them in moments where there is like a lot of stressful um, input coming in or like emotional reactions and it doesn't happen with the clearest of minds and it's under um, a very stressful uh, situation. So yeah, I, I like that we are at the point in our society where we can think about the future in a way that gives us more agency. I also wanted to ask you about um, how, as a speculative designer, you are basically facilitating these kinds of conversations through your prototypes. In your interview with uh, Suzanne Hausen uh, earlier this year, you said, I want my work to start conversations about complex social issues rather than insisting this is how it should look. My prototypes say, hey, look what's possible. What kinds of conversations have you facilitated through your um, work on artificial wombs? Yeah, if we talk about the first prototype that we did, that was how an artificial womb would look like. Um, I think what that prototype really helped in, in the conversation was that usually when you start talking about artificial wombs, people are like, oh my God, no, we're going to build babies in factories. and like this very black and white, yeah, yeah, like Brave New World, Matrix, everything. But th these are the images that we have in our mind. That's what we're working with. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, it's quite logical that you react in that way. But it's it's really black and white, these, these conversations. It's like, or you're interested in it, or like, hard no. But with these prototypes, I kind of want to go into this more gray area. Like, okay, we accept the fact that this technology is, uh, is, is part of the world. How do we want it to look like? What do we think is important? So um, when we presented that prototype, a lot of people just started asking like, oh, but why is it not see Like not like going beyond the thing, like I want factories, babies, but more, okay, why does it look like this? Why is it not see-through? Well, there was a a good explanation for that. We learned from the scientists that it's a privacy thing for babies and also UV lighting. So we could, you know, answer that and then people start to understand. And then you can ask 
another question, like, why do you want it to be see-through? What, why is that important? Um, and do you think that's good for the baby or not? Like, for who is that an important uh, factor? Um, so these conversations, I think, are very interesting. Um, what else? Yeah, like, just from different perspectives, like a, a lawyer was looking at that prototype will act uh, so differently towards it than uh, a midwife. I, I think that's also so such a good point that you bring up with the lawyer is you're bringing people who don't have anything to do with ethics, philosophy, design into a space where they can actually comment on something and have like agency to help shape this conversation and the way that we think about a certain technology introduction. Yeah. Yeah. And also that's good for us designers to learn because I don't think about the law in my, uh, in my research, not like, not necessarily. Sometimes of course you will go, you will come across some things, but that's why I think these prototypes are also really good that you bring in all these different perspectives. Yeah. Inspiring to me, uh, as I also do industrial design and I find this, be how people behave and react and how technology influences us quite interesting. So thanks for being here and talking about that. I'm curious, um, what do you think are certain elements to make sure that the conversation that people are having is actually fruitful? So what kind of environment do you need to facilitate like a lawyer and a midwife to be in the same room talking about this? That's a really good question because that's an important thing that I think I haven't really figured out yet. I think it needs to be places that will, you know, so I've um, exhibited at the Dutch Design Week. I mean, there's a lot of people coming to Dutch Design Week, but it's also a certain type of person that comes there. Um, so you kind of want to put it in more public spaces, like, I don't know, a library or um, I think that that needs to be more of the design process as well like where are you going to present it but for like for now it's still sometimes it is difficult to to find these spaces or like it's a financial thing and like I have this opportunity now to present it at the Dutch Design Week which is great because you know a lot of people can see it but you want to make it as accessible as possible so you need to make sure you um, present it in those spaces as well. Um, and I think, especially for speculative design, that is something that will develop a bit more. Like speculative design was always in the white cube, um, <laughs> like in the galleries. And it's kind of, you know, came out finally, because uh, first it was always very much regarded as art, um, like this niche art. Um, but it's coming out now a little bit. And I Like how cool would it be if you could have your exhibition at some train station where everyone's walking through and if they have a moment, they can interact with it. Yeah. That way you get people from all levels of social and socioeconomic uh, backgrounds. Yeah. That's uh, the next step for you to think about, I think, then. Yeah. And I just wanted to know if your views on artificial wounds have um, evolved much since the last time you exhibited at Dutch Design Week. I think they have evolved. Definitely, I've learned more perspectives and more about what it feel. And I'm keep, I keep learning about it and you know speaking to new people and they have these new perspectives and um and i um but i think as a designer and also when i just started with it just best if you have the position so uh, i i honestly don't know if i'm pro or against artificial wounds i'm just gonna stay in the middle um and it's i think it's important to stay neutral but also in making this 
um, these types of work is about sense making and understanding what it is about and I kind of you know take you with me in my sense making of artificial wombs because I still don't really understand it and that's how I make the work yeah so we've talked a lot about your history with artificial wombs your role and how you facilitate conversations but let's highlight a bit now your newest exhibition how does this newest exhibition expand on your previous work have uh, extended is more into the definitely more into the ethical um, side of things um, and it's also I took a bit more liberty into making it even more speculative uh, and I think what changed is that I um, as I said in the beginning that I changed the perspective so I, I went from the perspective of uh, someone who was born from an artificial womb that really changed uh, for me so like quite early in the in the design process like ways uh, yeah how is it like how if I change my research question to the being inside uh, what does that mean and and that kind of opened up this whole new space that I thought was really interesting to um, explore uh, but also really difficult and abstract and I noticed that some of the philosophers stand um and but I didn't understand either but I thought of a thing um I think you're um, talking about it, basically how your newest exhibition will build upon the yeah. previous work. And I think what you said about, instead of making it about my research question, the technology itself, but more focusing on the being that comes out of it. Yeah. It's a completely new world we're talking about. Yeah. 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 And definitely the focus was also more on like, that, that, that came more from the philosophical side, like how do our values change? Um, but to be able to talk about that, I learned that from the workshops that we did together. Um, to be able to talk about it uh, and to, you know, take stakeholders with you and look into the future, um, you need a scenario. Because otherwise, like you said earlier, you're going to just reflect on the things you already know and then use those Kind of pieces to build it differently together into like a futuristic thing but um yeah i wanted to go a little bit further to like this speculative futuristic scenario to be able to reflect back on the now and then oh if we have this scenario how would an artificial room then look the installation I thought was interesting that you want to, um, the idea was that the people that had been born from the artificial womb would meet. And I think that's also a design choice because um, when going back to what you said earlier about uh, the decision to leave it transparent or opaque, uh, whether the, the children were visible to the outsiders, I think in a way it's also the choice um, whether they are aware of the others who were born from the same womb. And I don't know if I'd want to know. Like, maybe I'd rather be ignorant. Also, maybe I'd rather be ignorant of being born from an artificial womb. And because um, they, I mean, you can design it to be as realistic as possible. Um, same with a lot of humanoid uh, organs where I feel like they want to make it seem super realistic or robots, for example. And that's always a decision of maybe it should be more robotic to be obvious that this is a robot or make it more personal and humanoid so that people really can't tell, but then people are off put by that. Um, but how do you see that as well? Like the this decision and the decisions, I feel like you're kind of towing on the line, uh, experimenting with different ideas. Yeah. I guess it's more of like your um, insights about how do you see these choices of, or I guess, do you see pros and cons to both options? And you're neutral on the artificial womb, but yeah. uh, because the installation for Dutch Design Week is more towards one choice. 
Yeah. 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 Okay. I noticed like, yeah, I'm saying that I'm neutral, but I do make a lot of decisions that are kind of moving into like some kind of way. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do that quite intuitively. So I probably have this kind of vision in, in my head. I think what I wanted to do with this installation is kind of take a post-human approach. Um, and also I still need to learn what post-human really entails, but to, you know, design it as like this, this robot or think it about it along those lines for me that makes it quite transhumanist so like that we feel like oh we mastered also this process of life um and i don't think that is really thing uh, i'm more interested in how i don't know how it could change value around family or um yeah or uh, how we could use that in a positive way or something and i think well i tried to make it a positive sort of possible future but i noticed in when we tested it, we tested the installation uh, last week. I noticed that still a lot of people react on it as like brave new worlds and mm-hmm. dystopians. Um, but yeah, for me, within that kind of you know in in that future with artificial wombs, I think I'm I with this installation, I I, I try to make it like a bit more nice. But again, I think as a society, we're just not at the point where we have enough stories about artificial wombs that we don't think of it as a dystopian thing. You yeah. know, right now what you're doing is you're adding to that landscape to give a more uh, positive perspective. Yeah. But we just have like this one kind of narrative so far. So what you're doing is actually expanding that to help with the speculation that we need about this uh, technology. It's not just uh, where is it going to be placed? How does it look? It's also what does this change about how this individual born from it experiences the world? Yeah. And talking about all of that, I had a question. What unique experiences would you anticipate for a child birthed from yeah, an artificial yeah. womb? Um, yeah, I have thought about it, not in into detail, but I, I was thinking maybe you have these new, uh, you know, um, prop, no, you don't call it prop, more like uh, features or something um, that you notice from like little, maybe little things that you uh, have when you're born free um, but maybe these are really good things or like really um, beneficial features um, I think I based it a little bit this inspiration came from uh, quite an old project from A.G. Haynes I don't know if you know her she's a she's a speculative designer she was actually one of the designers that I met when I was just were looking at the when I was for the first time at the Royal College of Art and learned about speculative design. She was walking around with this cardboard box with like baby heads rolling around in it, but they were super real, hyper real baby heads. <laughs> it was so disturbing. <laughs> but I was like, I love this. <laughs> well, she made like uh, babies with all different properties to be able to um, survive different uh, worlds. So like really aerodynamic features, uh, like extra like. L- lobes or something like extra skin to be able to uh, pull yourself down Mm -hmm. and but then she made it all into these hyper real babies so that's for a lot of people that was really disturbing work but it kind of pushes a button like oh my god maybe this is evolution uh, in the next few um few years but like that project was in the back of my mind like maybe if you were born from an artificial womb you have like extra feature or you you have a weird connection um with uh, other people you don't know. Um, also, I thought about. Um, I talked to 
mothers that went to like different like traumatic experiences when, while they delivered, uh, but also good um, uh, experiences. But all these experiences, they referred it back to how their child grew up. And that's how you were born um, really kind of explains your personality. And this is just like intuitive, like um, stories from experience. Maybe, I don't know if it's scientifically proven, but it makes sense. So like all these like little things I take with me into designing this story. So I think for me, that was kind of this positive view of, oh, maybe you have these positive things when you're born. Theme. How do you want to, um, you know, revisit that or you want to learn more about it yeah 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 and that actually comes from the inspiration for that from a book which is called clara and the sun um and uh that is about an artificial friend so it's a it's a it never i think the 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 author never really says that that she's a robot but you know that she's of course artificial friends but um i don't know at the end of her life she's just kind of discarded on like this pile of junk and it's just so sad um and that also stayed in the back of my mind and I was like oh what if we do that with artificial wombs like it's a, if a baby has been nine months inside that machine it's probably quite important so why don't we make something to celebrate that and that is and all of that led you to the designing of a monument yeah. for them like okay this is the point that's crucial in your life where you become an adult and you can reflect about your life and where you're going by coming here and sort of interacting with the installation. Yeah. Yeah. Because also when it would be in your benchmarking, you could have also interviewed, I guess, uh, children who have been born from a surrogate. But I think in the same way, it's not quite the same because it's not a machine. But then, um, for example, with the installation, because you also have the mushroom hat that gives voice to the machine. Um, again, I think it's interesting that you're adding these humanistic features that um, you would see in reality, but you're kind of also disembodying it. And when I saw the arch way that you made, I thought it reminded me more of like Garden of Eden style. And because yeah. of the arch, like walking through and like having a new perspective or um, yeah, because now that the guy's out of the sound, it's like this little bubble that you're in. So you're, it's kind of like a transparent or invisible womb that you walk into and walk out. Hey, you know that the Garden of Eden was not ever in my inspiration. That's so funny. But now I see it, I'm like, damn, yeah, that's like a new Garden of Eden. Anytime I talk about the womb, I'm like, yeah, and this is the Garden of Eden slash artificial womb thing. And they're like, oh, interesting, interesting. And then when you mentioned earlier in this conversation, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I did not, did not get that. <laughs> yeah, but no, but that's just pretty good because these, like, these reflections back just make me understand my own work so much better because <laughs> yeah i feel like for me it's just intuitively like putting things together and i feel like when i look at something like okay yeah that seems right okay and then move on to the next step uh, but i i can't always just define why that is a good step or oh yeah it makes sense it's a portal like just because the things that you said just earlier so i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and i think that's because kari also comes from a um artist background and i think this is interesting um to have you guys speaking about like when you make something and what people interpret versus what you intend for it to be and how the yeah. meaning just expands exponentially yeah. after it's out there in the world um 
And the same with, I think, when technology becomes transparent in our, in our society because it's used or so commonplace. Uh, you see this with smart cities. Um, and if people feel like they're being, uh, once it becomes ingrained so much, they don't, there's discussion gets lost and you just kind of accept that it's there. I want to go to uh, another section of our interview, which is called the hot brew. And basically... These are some rapid fire questions, so you don't have to go in too much depth in it, and it's maybe a little bit more spicy for you. So first question, uh, did you imagine working on an interdisciplinary art installation before? Yeah, I think I've always been really open about it. Like um, I, I went for a project on, on the Trans-Siberian Railway and traveled through the whole of Russia just to, you know, do research with a group of designers and architects on a train. Um, so I just read it and I was like, that's interesting. Okay, I'll do that. I never really, you know, have this set out plan. Who did you imagine you would be working with? Like what kind of backgrounds when you first thought, okay, it's going to be interdisciplinary, but what does that mean? What I like about it is that philosophy and technology, I don't really understand. Um, and I, you know, I read a lot of philosophy, but then I just read like chapters and then kind of get the gist. I don't really understand it, but then I'm going to try to translate it in my own ways. Um, and um, I think that's a nice space to be in, just operating from like not knowing, not understanding, but just trying to make sense of things. Uh, and that works. What's the like um, contrast that happens when you have art, philosophy and technology? I think that people... Um, see me as all the things so that I'm an expert in all those things mm -hmm. which I'm not so that I need to be able so that's why because what you said earlier like oh yeah we can make this a really political like um, conversation yeah. discussion I'm not good at that because um, you know um, I know I work with these topics um, and people expect that I well also this is also downplaying what I know because I did become a bit of an expert on this subject because I've been working on it for so long. But I also want to keep that I am a designer. So I speak from a design perspective. So I don't know like the actual um, ethical stuff. You know, uh, I know some bits, but luckily I work with experts that know more about this, you know, but I think that's the hard part. So when I get invited for things, I get these questions that are really difficult and I, I'm, you know, I need to really think like, oh no, I need to shift it to what I know, what my expertise is. Yeah. People expect like the ethical answer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're like, is this brave new world? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, what would you work on? Oh, what would you change with this project if you could do it over from the beginning? I think, you know, there's many, th of course, there's many things. I wish I would have started way earlier on designing it, you know, um, um, but that's always what happens with me that I, um, I really like doing the research and like making these different concepts, but for me to, you know, take the step into, okay, what I'm, what am I actually designing? And for me, that's always a difficult step to take. Um, and I should have done that a little bit earlier. Maybe you can think of it like, what advice would you give to yourself when you just started to enter into this role? You know, you know I think I know, because that's something that I learned recently, uh, because it is mm, sometimes mm, you 
as a speculative designer, you think like, oh, I can think, speculate on all different kinds of cures. I think there will be people that will be able to. Um, but I think um, probably my tip would be to stick to one subject because you really need to understand it, be able to uh, speculate like a layered concept that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, it really just... You gotta make a hard limit for yourself. This is what I'm doing. This yeah. is the thing. Everything else seems really interesting, yeah. but just focus on this one. And of course, you can make it bigger. Like I don't, I don't say I'm focusing on artificial wombs, but I'm always saying like the future of reproduction. That is quite broad still. Um, but you know, I also took on this project on the future of the supermarket, and I was like, I'm sure I can do that. That'd be interesting. And Maybe I can, but it just took me so much effort that I didn't really enjoy it. And then it, it felt too much pressure. So I was like, no, I stick to my subject. And yeah. For How much more time do you feel like, or do you think you will recognize for yourself when you are done with this topic then? If you say really just stick to one thing? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I've had that idea before that I should not you know, do this topic anymore. <laughs> um, that was a, a few years ago. Um, but yeah, now I'm back into it. I'm like, there's so much more to explore still. So I think when you come, when you reach the point that you're like, eh, I think, uh, you know, you don't have that feeling anymore that you're like, oh, I need to explore this or this is something that I can explore. Or like even in these, these conversations, I'm like, oh yeah, I could also take that approach and then look at, from that, look at it from that side so I still get these new ideas. So if you don't have that anymore, then you probably reached it. Uh, do you think the, the dream teamers that you worked with in Design Lab helped you to realize the exhibition that you had in mind? Or um, do you think that um, not only that, but did it come out the way you, you would have wanted it to? Oh, definitely. They helped me a lot. Without the dream team, I could not have done this. Um, it's also the first time that I'm actually working with a team around me because I am used to doing everything by myself. Um, not So this is also the first interactive installation because, of course, I don't know. Well, of course, I don't know how to. I've never learned how to do that. I've learned, like, I know the basics. So I understand when Dream Teamers are, you know, programming things, what is happening. Um, but I don't know how to write code and stuff. So... Um, yeah, for me, yeah, it was really great working with the dream team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I had a really good team that was really hands-on. I think we also, like, when we put this project on, it's like a hands-on thing. We're building a big thing, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it needs to be ready in October. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the, um, the flow in the team. And I really liked it. Thank that. you for walking on the hot coals through our hot brew section. <laughs> <laughs> giving your insight in a short and snappy way. So just to kind of close out this episode, um, we're all curious, what is in store for you next? What new projects do you have on the horizon? Um, well, uh, not many yet, actually. I'm, I am doing a project which is not about the future of reproduction. <laughs> um, it's about the future of um, defense and war, which is... Um, a different topic um, but they're like it's weird but there are some similarities and I'm working with um, a political scientist on this uh, and she's done research on how um, uh, Silicon Valley because in 
the warfare and like the data collection and artificial artificial intelligence. So that's uh, an interesting. It is a really interesting topic, but it's really really hard um, as a designer. I noticed, but yeah, it's an experiment. Uh, and yeah, that's what I'm trying to finish early next year. Just the first experiment. If that'll also be at the UT or elsewhere. No, this is outside uh, UT. Uh, I got funding from the Creative Fund. Yeah, so that's uh, that's one project, and I hope actually can work this out. Well, thank you so much for letting us into your mind and understanding your working process and just some of the interesting conversations that have come out of your work on artificial wombs. It is a special thing to be able to create a scenario that people aren't thinking about because we don't even realize that we're thinking in a certain box when we're doing that. And for you to say, I'm going to do this thing that isn't so well known and making this field bigger and adding more narratives to this conversation is so important. So thank you for that. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad that we've done this and wishing you all the best in the future. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> so that's the podcast. Karin and Gemma out.